your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Job, chapter 2. I'm about to stand and preach from the Word of God, and I want to remind you that that is a very holy thing, and when God's Word is preached, God's Holy Spirit calls every one of us to respond. God will call today every one of us to make a decision, to do something with what we hear, what we learn. And my hope is that throughout this entire message, you will pay attention to what the Holy Spirit would have you do. One of the things that you can do today in response is to ask one of our ministers to pray with you. At the conclusion of the service, there will be some ministers at the front of both rooms for the express purpose of just bowing and praying with you, just personally. And so if there are things that the Lord brings to your heart, to bring to your mind through this message, I hope you'll come and let one of us pray for you. Last week we began this jet tour of the book of Job. It's a long book. We're doing it in just a few weeks. And we learned last week that Job, that his life really fell apart. Uh, everything was going well, family-wise, health-wise, uh, financially, life was good. But in just a short time, Job lost his family. He lost his wealth, his property, and he lost his health. Everything that could go wrong in Job's life did go wrong in Job's life. And we learned some important truths about God that we see reflected in that this last week. Today, I want us to start there and ask the question, what next? What do you do after your life falls apart? What do you do after you get the bad news? What do you do after the marriage breaks up? What do you do after the diagnosis? What do you do after you lose your job? What do you do after your kids rebel? What do you do after things are hard? What's next? And not only do I want us to learn from this passage what is next for us, I want us to learn how to help some other people know what's next. I want us to learn how to come alongside people that we know who are suffering, whose life like Job's has fallen apart, and I want us to know how uh, we can in a, in a spiritual way, in a Christian way, in a gospel way, how we can encourage them. So if you look to Job chapter 2 verse 11, we pick up really right where we left off. Job's life has, as I said, come apart. And now some friends are going to show up to help him out. Job chapter 2, verse 11. The Bible says, now when Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Naamathite, heard about all this adversity that had happened to him, to Job, each of them came from his home. They met together to go and sympathize with him and to comfort him. This really introduces a whole new section to the book of Job. Uh, the first chapter and a half tells the story of Job's life coming apart. Uh, we'll get to the very end of Job next week and we'll see how some things will change again. 
But the middle part of this book, about 35 chapters, it's all about these friends seeking to answer the question for Job, why is there evil in the world? That's a question that people ask often. If God is good and kind and loving and powerful, then why do people suffer? And so these friends are going to seek to give an answer to Job for those things, and that's the next 35 chapters. I'm going to preach on 35 chapters this morning. Do you believe that? (laughs) We'll go quickly. So... Let me give you a little bit of the outline because people struggle in these 35 chapters. In fact, few people read the book of Job and make it to the end because just the structure of these can be confusing. So at the very beginning of this section, Job is going to speak and then friend number one is going to speak and Job is going to respond. Then friend two will speak, Job responds. Friend three speaks, Job responds. And then they start over, friend one, Job, friend two, Job, friend three, Job, and then they do it again. Friend one, Job, friend two, Job, friend three doesn't speak. He's run out of things to say. And then there's a new friend, a fourth friend that speaks. And then we move into the final section where there's a conversation between Job and God. But we focus on the counsel from these three friends today. And this really gives me a chance because obviously 35 chapters, we're going to go pretty quickly. This gives me a chance to commend our Sunday school. So we have, many of you know this, but not all, uh, we have classes, we have groups that meet at nine o'clock on Sunday morning. We'll be back to our regular schedule this next week. Uh, Classes all over this campus, classes for all different age groups, and they get together and they study the Bible. In fact, many of our adult classes, though not all of them, some of them are focused in a little different direction right now in their Bible uh, study, but many of our classes spent the early part of the summer studying these in-between chapters in the book of Job. And I read that Sunday school literature a couple of weeks ago. It is excellent. And so if you want to go deeper into God's Word, I encourage you, be a part of one of our Sunday school classes. And maybe even more importantly, if you want to connect with some other believers that can encourage you as you live the Christian life, you need to be a part of one of those groups. If you're not a part of one and would like to be a part of one, here's what you can do. You can call the church, ask to speak with Mark, our associate pastor. He can plug you into a group. He can answer all of the questions. But you can do something today. When you leave the service, if you go to our main welcome center off the north parking lot, there will be a big screen there that just says groups. And if you go to that screen, there's somebody standing in front of it who is an expert, help you find the best group for you. So we're going to skim over some stuff that many people in our church went in depth in recent weeks. And I just think that's a beautiful thing. And I encourage you to be a part of that in the future. So I want you to see some of these things that Job's friends say. But before we do that, let's answer the question, how did they do? So did these three friends, ultimately four, but the fourth one does better than the first three. These friends give this counsel, how did they do? Did they give good counsel? Were their words wise and helpful? No, they weren't. 35 chapters of some really, really bad advice. 
their, their performance is evaluated in the book three different times, and I'll just point you to that. First of all, in Job 16.2, and you don't have to turn there, though you could, uh, Job evaluates his three friends, and here's what he says. You are all miserable comforters. <laughs> so there you go. Then the last friend, Elihu, in chapter 32, verse 3, it says, He was angry at Job's three friends because they had failed to refute him to answer Job's questions. Yet they condemned him. And then the Lord speaks in chapter 42, verse 7. It says, after the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the first of the three friends, uh, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth. And so what did they say that wasn't the truth? What did they, what did they say to Job that wasn't helpful. That's what I want us to see today. I really have three goals. I'll tell you quickly. First of all, I want us to know how we can say the right things. There'll be people around us whose lives fall apart. And I want us to be able to, to step in and be a mouthpiece for God and show the love of God, bring the comfort of God. I want us to know how to say the right things. Also want us just to have a perspective on evil and why there is evil. And we learn a little bit of that in each of these messages. And then finally, we'll just celebrate the glory of God. So I've called the, the main part of this sermon, I've given it a title. You can see it there in your, in your worship guide. Unhelpful advice, defective truth, miserable comforts, and other blessings from friends. But I had some other titles. I thought I'd share them with you. I thought about calling it, with friends like that, who needs enemies? You ever heard that before? I want us, church, to be friends, to be Christians in the lives of others so that we're blessings, not like these three friends. But I had another title, and I heard a, another pastor use this title, and I, I considered it. How about this? Friends in low places. And I wanted the choir to sing the anthem. I wanted Grant over in our summit service to pick it out on his guitar. And uh, nobody was willing to help me with that. So, so we'll stick with the original. Unhelpful advice, defective truth, miserable comforts, and other blessings from friends. Here's the first one. These three friends communicated incomplete truth incomplete truth. Now, this is one of the reasons why people get lost in the middle section of the book of Job. It's complicated because they say some things that are really good. You'll read through some of these and you'll think that's great. In fact, I've heard pastors preach on some of these things that God said, that's a lie. And they've preached on them as if they were the truth and the church loved it. They say some good things. The problem is they don't say the best things. They say part of the truth, but they don't say all of the truth. Now, let me walk through these chapters and just give you some ideas of what they're saying. I'll sum it up and then you'll see it. They really have a two-part message. God punishes bad people. God rewards good people. 
to, to which we could say amen, right? At least in a limited sense. God punishes the bad, God rewards the good. But if that's the totality of the message, then here's what people hear. If things are hard in your life, if there are problems in your life, then you must be a bad person. And if things are good in your life and there's plenty of money and you're healthy, then you must be a good person. And if you want things to get better, you need to be better. And, and for many people, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though we know that that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me share with you some of what they said. Zophar, the first friend, said that when bad things happen to the wicked, they're just getting what they deserved. Uh, Job chapter 20, verse 29, this uh, is the wicked person's lot from God. You did something bad, Job, you deserve it. You deserve what's happened. Eliphaz said all of this calamity was Job's fault because of his sin. Job chapter four, uh, beginning in verse three, it says, you have instructed many, you have strengthened weak hands, your words have steadied the one who was stumbling and braced the knees that were buckling. So Job, you've done a really good job ministering to a lot of people, but now this has happened to you. In my experience, he says, those who plow injustice and those who trow sow trouble, reap trouble. He says, Job, it's all your fault. Bildab said of Job's kids, all of whom died in a storm, terrible storm in Job chapter one. Bildab said it, that your kids died because they deserved to die. Job 8, four, he says, since your children sinned against him, he gave them over to their rebellion. Zophar, this is interesting, he told Job, it's bad, but it ought to be worse. That's a comfort, right? Job chapter 11, verse six, uh, Zophar said, God has chosen to overlook some of your iniquity. Uh, just think, if God punished you for everything, it'd be worse. And then Eliphaz said, if you will just fix your sin, life will be easy again. 22, verse 21, come to terms with God and be at peace. And in this way, God will come to you. So their message, God punishes sin and rewards obedience. That was the totality of their message. Now, is that true? Well, there certainly is truth in that, but listen, church, that's not true. That's not the whole truth. You know, at least on television, when you go for, uh, to testify in court, I don't know if this is real life or not, uh, but you have to swear an oath that I will tell the truth. You know this, don't you? The what? The whole truth and nothing but the truth. Now, why do they ask you to to swear that oath because that's the truth. So if you and your spouse are working on a project around your house and you're a little worried that the project is getting out of hand because it's now cost you $1,000 and you know that there's just, this wasn't smart. And so your spouse asks you, how much are we spending on the project? And you know, some of you are smiling, <laughs> If you say $1,000 or whatever the number is, that it's going to ruin the day. And so you, you, you scratch your chin and you say, we've spent $500. Now, is that true? Well, in a sense, it is true. You have spent $500 times two or three, right? But it is not the whole truth. So it's not the truth. You go fishing and it's just a bad day. You don't catch much, just a little, one little fish. Later in the day, you're, you're talking to one of your friends and, 
And he's bragging about this big fish he caught. And so he looks to you and he says, how'd you do today? What was the biggest catch you had? And you, you don't want to say it's just a little fish. So you say, well, you know, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm guessing it was less than five pounds. Now, was it less than five pounds? Sure, it was five ounces. <laughs> so you've spoken the truth, but you have not spoken the whole truth. And so these men give some truth, but they don't give the whole truth. There's so many things that they don't say. I made a list of them. Uh, you knew I would, didn't you? Uh, they could have said, Job, maybe God has a higher purpose and a greater good than just your health, wealth, and your family. Maybe that's not the most important thing in the world. They could have said, Job, maybe this looks bleak because we're looking at such a small slice of time. They could have said, Joby, Job, maybe there are other things going on that you're not aware of that if you were aware of them, you'd have a whole different take on what's going on. They, they could have said, Job, maybe this is more about the glory of God than it is the ease of your life, and one day you'll see it from that perspective. They could have said, Job, maybe... His ways, God's ways are higher than your ways. And his thoughts are higher than your thoughts in a million different ways. And you just don't understand. They could have said, Job, maybe this isn't just about you. You see, there's so much more to the wisdom of God than what these men said. And because they gave incomplete truth, they gave bad truth. They didn't speak the truth. Listen, we all need to agree that the wisdom of God is not something that'll fit on a bumper sticker. And we need to embrace a little bit of humility when it comes to being experts about everything that happens in the world and everything that goes on in the mind of God. We need to quit saying, if that happened, it's because of this. I saw this on the news, it must be because God did this. This is going on in your life, so it must be this. Listen, we don't know those things. And we're, we're the friends of Job, and we're giving some sort of partial truth as if it were the whole truth, and that's wrong. And we should strive for a deeper understanding of God's word. These friends said some good things, but clearly they didn't understand the heart of God. In fact, if you look at the theology of these three friends, you see that they were the ancient predecessors uh, to today's prosperity gospel preachers. Do you know what that is? There's some people today that, that they preach a gospel, they preach a good news, they call it good news, that if you'll just live a certain way, that God will bless you and that life will be easy and you'll be healthy and nothing ever will go wrong and it'll just be win after win after win and that's what God wants to do. And if you'll just live in a certain way, then that's what God will do and that's what these men taught and that's just part of the truth. And so it's not the truth. I don't know if I have time, but I, I, I want to take it. If, if you look to Job 11, I'll read to you just a few verses because, because I, I, I can hear these verses being preached at some of these health, wealth, and prosperity churches. It says, then you will hold your head high. Zophar is talking to Job and says, Job, just make a change. 
Then you will hold your head high, free from fault. You will be firmly established and unafraid, for you will forget your suffering, recalling it only as water that has gone by. Job, you won't even hardly remember these hardships. Your life will be brighter than noonday, and its darkness will be like the morning. Listen, you could put that in a greeting card. And that's what so many people believe and so many churches teach, that if you just live a certain way, then everything will go good in life. And that's not the truth because it's not all of the truth. Listen, the prosperity gospel, it, it, it's a problem for a lot of reasons. It hurts people whose struggles in life are not connected to their sin. Listen, some people are going through hardships and it has nothing to do with their personal sin. We can't say to everyone who's had a spouse die or a kid die that you're guilty of sin and it has directly led to this. No, that hurts people. The prosperity gospel wrongly comforts those peoples whose life is, is easy. There are a lot of people whose, whose life is very easy and, 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 and they're on a path that leads straight to hell. But they think everything is okay because this prosperity gospel says that you can just look at your bank account and tell how much how faithful you are to God. It, it's bad because it miscommunicates the nature of God, the wisdom of God and the gospel. It leads people to seek to save themselves by good works and it drives people far away from the gospel. Job's three friends failed him because they communicated an incomplete truth, an incomplete truth. Now, the second thing I want you to see here is that these friends gave advice when they should have given comfort. Do you know the highlight of the ministry of these three friends? Hopefully you still have your Bible open to Job chapter 2. Let's read now verse 13. It's talking about these three friends. It says, then they sat on the ground with him, with Job, seven days and nights, but no one spoke a word to him because they saw that his suffering was very intense. So they got there. What's the first thing they did? They, just, they were just with him for seven days. They didn't do anything. They just were with him. And that was good. And then they opened their mouths and everything went downhill from there. Uh, they nearly came to blows with Job, uh, Job as, they, uh, as they sought to, uh, to comfort him. In fact, I want to read to you Job's description of their ministry. Uh, just briefly, Job 16.2, Job says, I have heard many things like these. You are all miserable comforters as we so we read a moment ago. And then the next verse says, is there no end to your empty words? What provokes you that you continue testifying? I think it says in the, in the New King James, um, why do you continue with these long-winded speeches? Uh, but I don't like to say that because I'm afraid somebody will ask me and I don't, uh, that wouldn't be helpful. So look at verse four. He says, if you were in my place, I could also talk to you like this. I could string words together against you and shake my head at you. So he says, you've not helped me at all. So what should they have done? He tells them in the next verse, verse five, he says, instead, I would have encouraged you with my mouth and the consolation from my lips would have brought relief. Church, listen, when people are going through hard times, what do they need from us, from their friends? What do they need from Christians? When people are hurting, they don't need advice, they need love. When people are hurting, they don't so much need our answers as they just need our compassion. 
We don't need to try to correct hurting people. We need to try to love on hurting people. They don't need a theology lesson, at least not first. They need to hear about God's love. They need to see God's love in us, and they need to hear about the provision of Christ on the cross. You know, sometimes even Christians can say the dumbest things when they're around hurting people. And so I've, again, made a list. <laughs> uh, when I hear some of these things, I just uh, I make a mental note. And I have a list of ignorant things that we say <laughs> and careless things. Now, I'm, I'm a little nervous about this because some of you have said some of these things. <laughs> I'm especially nervous about this because I'm afraid I've said some of these things. But listen to the things that we say. On the ignorant cliche list, I've heard people say, actually heard it from their mouth, when someone will lose a child, have a child die, I've heard a well-meaning person say, your child died because God just needed another angel in heaven. Listen, no. It's not why your child died and your child's not an angel and God doesn't have any needs in heaven. I mean, that's, that's not the truth. And it doesn't help and it doesn't erase any pain. They don't need your explanation. That's foolishness. Never helped anybody. How about this? Time heals all wounds. Well, I'm not even sure that that's true. Probably about as true as the first statement. But our advice at a time like that doesn't bring healing. How about this? All clouds have a silver lining. Well, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But when you're in the middle of, of, of just your life falling apart, you're not interested in the, in the silver lining. You don't want somebody just to cheapen your, your grief. It's not like, well, shrug this off. It'll, it, there'll be some advantages that come to you from this. That's not what you need. You don't want somebody to tell you that, that your grief is not valuable, that it's not real, that it shouldn't be dealt with. That's crazy. Some careless theology. I've heard people say, well, everything happens for a reason. Well, I suppose in some way that might be true, but that doesn't help a person who's in the middle of this agony. Don't grieve, just trust the Lord. You ever heard somebody say that? We usually have prettier words, but I hear that often. Uh, how about this? Well, she's in God's hands now. He's in God's hands now. C.S. Lewis wrote a book after his wife died. C.S. Lewis, uh, um, you know, a great Christian noted for saying things very well. Uh, but he, he said in this book that the consolation he received from other Christians was so unhelpful and it was hurtful. And, and he said people kept saying, well, your wife who's died, she's in God's hands now. She's in God's hands now. And he said, well, you know, I thought she was in God's hands the whole time. That's no comfort to me. How about this? You will be stronger at the other end of this grief. Well, maybe. But that doesn't address the need right now. Right now. So how do we comfort somebody? How can we not be like the three friends of Job? But how can we encourage someone who's, who's struggling? Well, we ought to grieve with them. They're grieving. Let us grieve. We ought to love them and just be present with them. You know, the best illustration of this, of course, is Jesus. He's the best illustration of everything. And um, 
there's that verse, I guess, that everybody knows. We joke about it. The shortest verse in the Bible. You want to memorize a verse? Memorize the shortest verse in the Bible. John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. But I think we joke about that and we fail to recognize just how significant that verse is. So let me tell you the story. Uh, Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, dies. His sisters uh, Brokenhearted, of course, over Lazarus' death. They had sent word to Jesus, who was out of town. Come back. Brother is sick. Lazarus is sick. Come do something about it. Jesus shows up. He shows up too late. He shows up too late on purpose when you read the story. And so Mary is just brokenhearted, sister of Lazarus. She's just brokenhearted. She's angry. Her life has fallen apart. Her, her brother has died. And so listen to what she says, John eleven thirty two. 32. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then the next verse says, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her were crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. So what's Jesus going to do? Here's Mary and she's, she said something that's just not true, right? She's got her theology all messed up. Jesus, if you had have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And if you know the rest of the story, Jesus is about to resurrect Lazarus. He's not going to be dead very long. Calm down, Mary. And then she gets all of her theology wrong. There's like 10 things wrong with that one statement she made. So what's Jesus going to do? Is he going to correct her theology? No. Is he going to dismiss her pain by saying, listen, just, you should trust me. Your grief is foolish. No. Is, is, is he going to tell her, Mary, listen, everything will be okay in eternity? No, he doesn't say that either. What does he do? Jesus wept. He just wept. He just put his arms around her and wept with her. He didn't fix it. He didn't have a corrective message for her. He didn't give her advice. He just wept with her. If we don't want to be the miserable comforters that came around Job, then we need to sure say the right things, but maybe sometimes more importantly, we need to show the love of Jesus. Can I tell you, can I just take a pause here for a moment? And I know we're over on time, but, but, but there, there are two ways to tell somebody about the nature of God. That, that's what we want to do, right? We want our church to be a church about, it's all about telling people about the nature of God. There are two ways to do that. So one way to do that is to teach people God's word. That's what we're doing right now. We do that every week. This is uh, something our church focused on, have been for, for many, many years. So we're, we're, we're a church that teaches faithfully the word of God. But there's another way, too, that we talk to people, we teach people about the nature of God. We love on people. We love on people. And the Bible supports both, and our church should do both. We should teach the Word of God faithfully, but we should love people. And between those two things, our, our people and our community will, will know of the nature of God. So, I've got a reason for this. We're going to do something on October the 3rd, if the Lord allows, that I don't know if we've ever done before. We're calling it Serve Day 2021. And so worship, and you'll hear a lot about this in the next few weeks, but worship, instead of being at 10.15, will be at 9 o'clock. So a little early. I know that's early for people. I hear it every week, okay? 
Uh, so we'll all set our alarms and we'll get here at nine o'clock. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a worship service, weather permitting, in the parking lot. And we're going to sing praises to the Lord. I'm going to bring a brief message uh, we'll have places for people to sit who can't stand and even places inside the building where we can control the temperature and make it comfortable. But we're going to come and we're going to worship for a few minutes. But then we're just going to go and love our community. We're going to have service projects that Sunday school classes do together, that families do together, that groups do together. We're going to have things for individuals to do. We're going to have things for people of all ages to do, from the very youngest children to the very oldest senior saint in our church. And we're going to take the next two or three hours, and we're going to go into our community, and there will be some things that you can do right here on campus for those who can't go. But in the next two or three hours, we're going to brag on Jesus, not with words, but with service. And we're going to tell people, not just with our words that God loves you, we're going to tell people with our hands and our feet that God loves you. We're going to impact schools. We're going to impact community centers. We're going to impact faith organizations. We're going to impact the lives of people who are going through tough times. We'll have all of this worked out. We'll all have the same color t-shirt on. We'll get most of you signed up even before you get here to that day, but there will be opportunities opportunities even that day to sign up. Here's the message. We, we want to be people who, who communicate who God is and the greatness of God, both by teaching God's word, but also by loving on people in the name of Jesus. And we'll do both that day. We'll do both. Now, let me skip point three and point four. Uh, just, just be encouraged. We could have gone much longer. And let's go to point five. It's not even on your outline. I added it uh, later. But here it is. The friends failed to understand the sinfulness of man and the grace of God. I do want to read two more verses from chapter 11. And I want you to see a mistake. I want you to see, if you want to turn there, chapter 11, verse 14, I want you to see if you could see the mistake that they make. It says, if there is iniquity in your hand, they're talking to Job. Job, if there's iniquity, if there's sin, Remove it and do not allow injustice to dwell in your tents. Then you will hold your head high, free from fault, and you will be firmly established and unafraid. You see their mistakes? They said, Job, listen, if you just clean up your life, then you will be right with God and everything will go your way. Mistake number one is they believed that you could free yourself from sin. They believed that you could work hard enough, turn over a new leaf, make a big enough, bold enough commitment to change your life that you could remove the sin from your life. And I'm telling you, that's not the case. The Bible says that we're sinners all the way deep through, that we were born sinners, that it is our nature and no one ever cleaned up his life. No one ever straightened up enough to be pleasing to God. These, these men, of course, didn't understand the full revelation of Jesus Christ, but they missed the truth altogether. You can't clean up your life. The other error they made is they believed that you, you need to clean up your life. You see, first they thought you could clean up your life. They were wrong about that. But then secondly, they thought it's you that has to fix you. Here's the gospel truth. The only chance we have is Jesus Christ. 
The only chance we have is that he died on the cross to forgive our sins and will send the Holy Spirit in our lives to change us. The only hope we have is Jesus. And you don't clean yourself up to receive Jesus. You receive Jesus and Jesus cleans you up. See, see, they got this wrong. Job, just, just act right and everything will be okay. And here's why I'm so passionate about this. Because I think that's the gospel that most people know. Most people don't know the gospel of the book of Romans. Most people don't know the gospel of Ephesians 1. Most people don't know the gospel of 1 Corinthians 1. Most people know the gospel of these three miserable friends. Clean yourself up before it's too late. You work hard to be right with God. No, listen, I'm telling you, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you come and surrender to him and let God forgive you by what Jesus has done and let God change you through the Holy Spirit. It must start with God. If it starts with you, it ends in hell. But if it starts with God, it can end in salvation. Just your head bowed and eyes closed for a moment. Job went through hard times beyond anything we can imagine. But there's truth in this for us. He went through hard times so we could, we could learn. There's so many things to learn. But here's what I want us to go away with. Father, teach us that the answer is always in you. It's never in us. It's in you. And Father, for those who need somebody to pray with them, I pray that you give them the courage to reach out. We do this, we preach this, because we love Jesus, and we pray this in his name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.